Welcome back to yet another episode of Ball With Y'all. It's so great to be here with you today on March 2nd, the first episode of the month of March. We are officially in the third month of the year. 2022 is flying by. We are so glad that you chose to join us on your Wednesday morning, afternoon, evening, whatever the case may be for you right now. We have a full show for you, whether you are joining us via Spotify or Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Radio Public Breaker, or choosing to watch us on YouTube at BWI Productions, wherever you might be listening from or tuning in from. We're so glad you chose to join us here today. As always, I encourage you to check us out on Instagram as well, BWI Productions. Uh, that's the YouTube. Uh, Instagram is actually Ball with Y'all Podcast. We have a lot of great content on there as well. So if you're looking to connect with us in any way, shape, or form, trust, uh, trust me, we've got a lot of different avenues for you to do so. Like I mentioned, we got a full show today. We are coming off of this second uh, points race in the NASCAR season in the form of the Auto Club race over in Fontana, California. We'll break down some of what we saw there, some of our main takeaways, and what we might have learned moving forward. Then we'll go into, we just saw the schedule for the SEC Media Days. It was released. And so we'll go into our, from top to bottom, our best days as far as SEC Media Days go and our not-so-great days as far as SEC media days go. Now, of course, it, we're, we're about four months away, but I still think it's important to prepare you as early as possible because, of course, we are SEC fans. And then lastly, we'll go into a storyline that's been evolving over the last few weeks. And uh, if you might recall, this individual retired at one point in time, and now it seems like he might not be retiring. Of course, I'm talking about Tom Brady. And if you might recall... When we last talked about this, I said that I thought he would come back. And here we are. It seems like he might just be doing that, as shown by our sign today. Seems like Tom Brady might be racing to come back. But we'll get into it in story number three. First, let's get into story number one. So story number one, we had the second race of the NASCAR season in the form of the race at Fontana out in California. Of course, there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of unknowns getting into this race. This was going to be like the first real race that required skill and 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 the right amount of, of effort on pit road. And how are you going to manage those tires and so on? I believe every single team had 13 sets of tires or something along those lines. Uh, you saw a lot of different interesting situations in qualifying where a number of championship drivers, they spun out and they didn't get good qualifying spots as a result. Kevin Harvick had to start at the back. I believe Kyle Busch had to start at the back. Uh, Brad Keselowski, a number of strong, prominent drivers had to get pushed to the back as a result of a number of situations that ran throughout the uh, early part of the racing week. Now, of course, Kyle Larson, your reigning NASCAR champion and the California native, won the race. Uh, you know, he he also had to start at the back. And I believe it was the first time he's ever won a race, having given up his starting position. Of course, he qualified like 12th or 13th. And then they found something, I believe, that morning with the engines. They had to make some repairs, some replacements. And you're not allowed to do that. They impound the cars over the weekend after you qualify. And so as a result, he had to give up his starting spot, his first ever win after giving up his starting spot. Uh, We'll get back into Kyle Larson. Trust me, I'm not going to just quickly brush over him. Uh, A number of other guys that were really impressive. Tyler Reddick, he was impressive throughout the day. He won both stage one and stage two. And then he also led a career high 90 laps. And you might recall his day was actually cut just a tad short after he ran into the wall. And then, of course, William Byron got into him as well. And it was one of those situations where a repeated theme throughout the day was 
tires and how how well they can hold on and how well they don't hold on right we saw some of that not necessarily to the degree that we saw it on sunday but we saw some of it in the daytona 500 with uh some wheels just falling off some tires coming off the wheels uh a number of interesting things on that front but this past sunday we saw a number of drivers go down with flat tires and the really interesting thing and we'll get more into this here in a bit is that if you go now with a flat tire, your day is essentially done, right? And we kind of saw that with Tyler Reddick. He had a strong a strong start throughout the day. He was leading most of the race, and it really seemed like he might get the win. I believe it would have been his first career Sprint Cup, or I guess now just Cup Series win. And then as a result of a, of a blown tire that sends him into the wall, and then William Byron's not paying attention and also gets into him, ends his day as well. All of a sudden, Tyler Reddick, I believe he finishes 27th or so. Eric Jones, he was up there all race as well and driving the 43 car. And then, of course, Daniel Suarez, who is, of course, the, the driver for Pitbull, the artist Pitbull, Mr. 305. He had a chance at the end to win the race. And I stood there with, I think it was like three or two or three laps to go. I stood there and I watched. I was like, Daniel Suarez is in the lead. Daniel Suarez is in the lead. And then it just like that, it was over. But he had a shot nonetheless. There were a number of Hendrick, Hendrick drivers up toward the front, or not Hendrick, uh, Chevy, between Dano Suarez and Austin Dillon was up there as well. Like I mentioned, Tyler Reddick, and then of course, Kyle Larson. Now I mentioned the tires, right? This seems to be a repeated theme throughout, uh, throughout the first couple of weeks, but particularly it was very pronounced this past Sunday. And I imagine it's going to have to get addressed pretty quickly. So, I'll take uh, I'll take an early uh, an early wreck. Let's think let's think about an early wreck where um, let's say uh, Christopher Bell, right? Christopher Bell driving the twenty car. He goes down his his he blows a tire, right? Ends up in the grass, blows another tire. Well, traditionally speaking, in years past, you could still move the car if you were if you had a blown tire, right? The way I've been led to believe is that whatever they did to these to these tires and to these cars, uh, basically as soon as that tire is blown and, and you're flat, you're not going anywhere, right? And so NASCAR has said, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll tow you to your pit stop or your pit, your pit box and you can, you can change the tires, but you're going to be charged for every lap that, that takes place as the, as the leaders are driving by you, right? So Kyle Busch, a great example of that, right? Had to come in flat tires or whatever else it was. And then all of a sudden he's down four laps. Christopher Bell, down four laps. Tyler Reddick, same situation, down a lap or two. Chase Elliott, same situation. He was down a couple laps early on in the race, which we'll, we'll talk more about Chase Elliott, trust me. I don't feel like that fixes the problem. You shouldn't go down three laps because you blew a tire, right? Especially when these tires we've seen are not exactly the greatest tires in the world. Tyler Reddick was winning the race. And then all of a sudden, because his tire could not hold on, he lost and it wasn't even remotely close, right? Tyler Reddick by all accounts should have won that race. And because his tire couldn't hold on, he also could not hold on to that top spot. So whatever the case may be, I don't know what NASCAR does. I don't know what the answer is uh, when it comes to tires, but clearly the problem lies with these tires right now because you, you can't you can't be cautioning guys four laps, right? Kyle Busch could have won the race yesterday or yesterday, Sunday, but in reality, he never had a shot because he was down a few laps because of some weird tire situations that came across throughout the race. And like I said, NASCAR, I'm sure they're addressing it right now, and they may have a solution come Sunday. But as of right now, as it stands right now, this is a massive issue that affects a number of prominent drivers. And you don't know who's going to blow a tire. 
Kyle Larson could have brought, could have blown a tire on Sunday and in his day would have been done. And of course he ended up winning the race. Now, speaking of Kyle Larson, uh, I just want to clarify and, 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 uh, make it very clear that this is now officially, as far as I'm concerned, a Kyle, an anti Kyle Larson show, right? I have mentioned before, right. That I didn't love Kyle Larson. Right. But I really, really don't like him anymore. Really, really. Now, I want you to, if you can, if you're not driving or whatever else, um, if you're watching us on YouTube, then, then, then feel free to do this as well. Uh, but just close your eyes. Right. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about the two best teammates you could ever think of in the sports world. Right. Do you have somebody in mind? Do you have anybody? I'm thinking maybe Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. Right. Hopefully, one of you were thinking of Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. Or maybe if you're a basketball fan, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, they were great teammates, right? Or going back to the football world, Tom Brady and uh, Rob Gronkowski, right? Great teammates, right? Think of, think of some other guys when it comes to – at the University of Georgia, Matt Stafford, right alongside Noshawn Moreno in like the late 2000s, right? A number of great teammates out there. And what makes, uh, you can close, you can open your eyes if you had your eyes closed. You listen to any instructions, you can open your eyes now. All those great teammates, what do they have in common? They always had each other's backs, right? And they were always going the same direction. Yes, they had competing interests sometimes, right? No, Sean Moreno wanted to run the ball because he wanted to, to, to be a, a, a very strong rusher and really wanted to raise his draft stock and so on. Matt Stafford wanted to throw the ball and end up becoming the number one overall draft pick to the Detroit Lions, which he ended up doing. They had competing interests, but ultimately they were going the same direction. And to be a strong teammate, you have to have your teammates back. And we saw this past Sunday that Kyle Larson, some of us already knew it. I kind of had a feeling, but Kyle Larson is an absolutely atrocious teammate. And I know there's a lot of excuses. I've heard him say things. I've heard his spotter say things. But what happened on Sunday was absolutely just egregious, right? And it was uh, pathetic, to say the least. So I mentioned that Chase Elliott um, driving the nine car for Hendrick Motorsports. He was leading early. He actually had the lead for a good amount of time and uh, then blew a tire and got into the wall and then did it again and did it again and ended up being back two laps, right? And throughout the race, he battled back. He Got the lucky dog a couple times to get the free pass around to gain a lap back. And all that work just to get sent into the wall to get pinched by your teammate. Of course, there was a moment where uh, Kyle Larson was right next to, next to Joey Logano and he was side drafting Joey Logano. And Chase has this great run on the outside. It looks like Chase is going to take the lead with about mm, 20, 15 laps to go, right? And Kyle proceeds to run right into his teammate, send him into the wall. And Chase all of a sudden drops 24 spots, ends up spinning and going down at least a lap and ends the day somewhere in the 25th or so neighborhood. Could have had a top five finish at best. I don't necessarily know that he would have won the race, right? I can't guarantee you that, but I guarantee you that he was not expecting his teammate to send him into the wall. His teammate, Kyle Larson, his teammate, Marvin Harrison would not send Peyton Manning into the wall, right? No, Sean Moreno would not have sent Matt Stafford into the wall. I know they had competing interests sometimes, but they would not. That they always had their had each other's backs, regardless of the situation. Now, of course, Kyle Larson, his spotter, he mentioned. Well, Kyle Larson said that uh, he didn't see him coming. Which, okay, sure, 
maybe but then you have a spotter right and the spotter is supposed to tell you what's happening around you because you can't see everything right and the spotter basically took the blame said that he was so focused on the 22 which is joey logano he wasn't focused on chase elliott whatsoever right it's indefensible right and whether whether it was accurate whether whether larson was telling the truth and saying that he did not see chase coming i don't know and i don't really care right what's going to happen and it's going to be a beautiful sight to see is when chase retaliates and you know what's going to happen at some point and he probably won't do it um in a situation where it's going to hurt kyle larson or really damage the car because again they're teammates and they have, they have all these these common interests when it comes to, to, to finances and so on but whatever it does there will be a moment and chase is going to get kyle back and kyle's going to lose a race that he could have won probably probably and it's going to come back to this moment and again i go back to i don't fully believe that kyle larson did not know that chase was there there were numerous moments in that race that could have decided the race and in my opinion that moment on sunday with about 20 laps to go where kyle larson goes into chase elliott and ruins his day that was the one that could have changed the direction for both of these guys seasons in the sense of i imagine you're going to have a little bit more awkward tension between the two of those guys moving forward. I know they're teammates, right? But I think that was the one. Now, looking ahead to Sunday, we've got Las Vegas, the third race of the season for the Cup Series. Uh, talk about some other guys who've won before. Of course, Kyle Larson, he won the spring race last year in Las Vegas. And Denny Hamlin, he won the fall race. I believe that was in the playoffs, actually, last year. Uh, some guys that have had success throughout time. You look at Keselowski, three top five finishes in six races, but he's never won at Las Vegas. Martin Truex Jr., he has three top fives in six races, including one win. And Joe Logano, his average finish uh, is seventh in six races, and he has two wins on that track as well. Now, who do I like? Who do I think could pull it off on Sunday? Of course, Denny Hamlin mentioned before he's the reigning Vegas champ right now. He has three top fives and six starts. He's always good here. So if his, if his car can hold on, he should do well. Kevin Harvick, he hasn't really done too much as of late, but this could be his moment. He has a top 10 finish in all but one of his starts at Las Vegas. And of course, Kyle Busch, you know, he has, I believe, three top five start, three top five finishes and six starts. And I feel like he's kind of due for a turn of fortune. Of course, I mentioned that he he struggled due to some suspension issues or retire, whatever, whatever was going on with his car. He ended up multiple laps down, ended up getting on the lead lap for the very end of the race here in Fontana. Um, I think he's due for a turn of fortune. And I think he could just have that moment here as well. Of course, I can't not mention Kyle Larson to maybe get in the mix up there. I think, you know, he always finds his way to the front, whether he has the best car or not, just because of how good he is and how fast that car goes. So there's like four guys I think could win this race. Danny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano. Of all those guys, I like Kyle Busch the most. I think he is the one that'll take home the Las Vegas trophy come Sunday. Take that momentum over into the fourth week of the regular season. On to story number two. So story number two, I mentioned that we, has, we had the uh, SEC Media Day schedule release uh, last week at some point, and this will be the second time ever that SEC Media Days will take place in Atlanta, Georgia. Normally it takes place in Birmingham, 
Uh, last time I believe it took place in uh, in Atlanta was 2018, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, of course, we're we're several months off. This is like like mid to late June, July, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. So we are several months away. But I just got so excited. I had to take a look at the schedule and identify which days were better and which days were not so great. So of the four days, I'm going to give you the top to bottom ranking as far as what day you should want to tune in and what day we'll probably get the best sound bites. So without further ado, let's get into it. I have day number four as my least favorite day. Of course, day four is Thursday, July 21st. That day, they have Brian Harson, who's Auburn's head coach, Josh Heupel, Tennessee, and Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Now, listen, Brian Harson. I mentioned it before. I was going to be surprised if he ended up still being the head coach at Auburn at this point in time. And it looks like he will still be the head coach. Somehow, some way, he'll be there. Uh, but I don't really know that he'll say anything of substance that will really matter uh, for most of us here in the world. Josh Heupel, of course, this could be a big year for him at Tennessee. I don't know what the expectation is, right? I don't really know what where the ceiling is for Tennessee. But regardless, Josh Heupel is not an exciting character, right? When I think of the most exciting coach, coaches and, and, and lead figures in the SEC, Josh Heupel does not make that list. And it's unfortunate, but as a result, I cannot put him on a list where, where I'm really excited to, to, to watch his media day press conference. It doesn't really matter to me, right? The only character on here who kind of carries the day is always Jimbo. But the problem is, you know, Jimbo, he gets on my nerves a lot, especially now and you think about, he talks a lot, right? He talks a whole lot, but very rarely does he back it up. The only time that he's ever backed it up was when he jokingly made a comment to some golf club or whatever else saying that uh, some old, I forget what it was, some maybe it's a booster function, when he said something about beating Nick Saban in the fall, and he proceeded to do it, right? One time he's ever followed up on what he actually said. And I guarantee you, whatever this man says on July 21st, you probably won't back it up in the fall. So with that, with that in mind, I don't really, I'm not going to take anything he says uh, for at face value because nothing really matters what he says because ultimately speaking, come September, October, November, his team and he will not perform to what he put out there during SEC media days. On to number three, I've got day one, which is Monday, July, July uh, 18th. We've got three head coaches that you know, they're pretty impressive in some way, shape, or form. We got Brian Kelly, the new guy at LSU, coming out of Notre Dame. Lane Kiffin, who stayed at Ole Miss after hearing a number of rumors as to where he could end up. And then Eli Drinkowitz for Missouri. Now, Brian Kelly, of course, he's got a big job. He's got a lot of expectation, right, at LSU. He has a big opportunity here to impress. But can you think about a time where Brian Kelly was remotely exciting? where he said anything that was remotely a headline that mattered a lot. Now, I can't really think of anything either, except for that one time where he tried to fake a Southern accent and it didn't work out too well. And he tried to say family or something like that. And it just sounded ugly. I don't know what he was trying to do. Long story short, he's not going to give you anything that's, that's of any substance that matters, right? Lane Kiffin, I feel like he carries this day every, every single time he's behind a mic. You know he's going to say something ridiculous and he's going to say something... Uh, that's really provocative in, in, in the best way possible, right? He's going to give you great sound bites. He's going to be pretty funny, right? And honestly, it's funny because I don't really love Lane Kiffin because he always gives Alabama trouble and uh, gives other teams in the conference trouble as well. And he isn't exactly the most upstanding person in the world, but 
he's going to carry the day, right? And there is a lot of expectation here for Ole Miss in year three now, I think, for Kiffin, if not year four. And coming off of a 10-win season, it'll be interesting to see how he responds after all the success they had a year ago. And lastly, Eli Drinkwitz. You know, I like Drinkwitz a lot. Um, I think he's really smart. I think he's a great offensive mind. I think he's a terrible defensive mind. He has no clue how to defend anything. He couldn't defend a brick wall if he was standing in front of it. It's a brick wall defense itself, but he still couldn't do it. Uh, but nobody else in the world likes likes Eli Drinkwitz, right? It feels like he's kind of on his way out, and this could be his last SEC media days, or his last SEC media day, if you will. If not his last, maybe one of his last. And so as a result, I don't really don't know that he's going to give you anything of stuff, substance that's going to matter. I don't really don't think he's going to do anything that's going to be exciting or headline worthy or anything that's going to, to, to remotely give you a reason to tune in beyond hearing Lane Kiffin. I think this is one of those days where you hear Kiffin and you move on with your life. And if, if there's anything from, from Ryan Kelly, you, you'll see a soundbite on Twitter or something like that, but you probably won't see too much. You're definitely not going to see anything from Eli Drinkowitz on that Monday. Number two of the four days of SEC media days. I've got day two, which is Tuesday, July 19th. There are, I would say, two and a half big names here, but four coaches in total. You got Clark Lee, the head coach for Vanderbilt. Uh, <laughs> honestly, he's the only reason that this one, that this group is not number one, in my opinion, because I feel like he kind of drags everything down just a tad. You got Shane Beamer. I've talked about it before. I love Shane Beamer. I think he's the next big thing. I think he is, uh, he's got a lot of momentum in South Carolina right now. Those players are all behind him. That community is behind him. And I think he could give the Floridas, the Georgias, the Kentuckys a run for their money here in the near future. And moments like this really help cement his place in Gamecock lore. So I think this could be a good moment for him. Mike Leach, uh, you know, he'll always be funny, right? Mike Leach is uh, he's the ultimate dad as far as dad jokes go. He'll give you the most ridiculous line ever, and uh, and you'll just kind of run with it. I talked about it back in the fall, if you recall, where Mike Leach was the one who inst- instigated that whole candy conversation where I went through and raked, ranked my, my top four candies and my bottom four candies. So who knows? We might have another candy conversation after SEC Media Days this year, perhaps just because Mike Leach, and just because he'll say something ridiculous, and we'll all run with it because that's what we do as SEC fans. Lastly, of course, this is this is one you can't pass up. Whether you like him or not, Nick Saban kicking off day two. He's always good, right? He's always going to say something. He's always incredibly insightful. He always analyzes the biggest issues in the sports world, whether it's name, name image, and likeness or the transfer portal, whatever else. He's going to give you something good. And he's not gonna, he's not gonna be very braggy about it, right? He's not gonna talk about everything that he's done. He's gonna be very I would say very humble in the way that he approaches it, but he's always really good. And he'll give you a laugh or two, right? He'll, he'll let, he'll let up a little bit, right? You can tell he's let up a little bit in his old age, older age. So I think he'll be good, right? And he, Nick Saban's always good. I have no doubts that he will, without a doubt, carry day two. Lastly, the number one day of SEC media days, I've got day three, Wednesday, July 20th. Now, a number of great coaches here. Honestly, from top to bottom, you can't complain, right? You got you got Sam Pittman for Arkansas. He's coming off of a big year. He's got a lot of momentum for the Razorbacks. I think he could do a lot of big things, and it'll be interesting to see how he responds. Being the only SEC West head coach coming off of a win because AM lost, I get to lost to LSU. LSU lost in their bowl game to Kansas State. Alabama, of course, lost to Georgia. Auburn, they lost their bowl game. 
Ole Miss lost their bowl game. Texas A&M, uh, we already talked about, lost to LSU to end the season. So Arkansas is the only SEC West team. Mississippi State, I apologize, forgot about them. They lost their bowl game too. So every SEC West team not named Arkansas has a lot to prove. Meanwhile, Arkansas is coming off of a win. They have a lot of momentum right now. Granted, it was in January against, uh, was it Penn State or one of those kind of programs? But still, a lot of great, a lot, it's a great position for Sam Pittman to be in right now. And uh, I think this could really set the foundation for a strong bounce back year here as well. Billy Napier, right? We've heard a lot from him in Florida, a lot of good things, right? And I talked about it before how I love Billy Napier as a head coach, and I think he'll do great things for Florida. This is his first big opportunity to talk about how he's going to turn Florida around. So I think this will be a great opportunity to hear him, whether you like him or not, whether you support the University of Florida or not. It'll be really interesting to hear Billy Napier's interview and what he has to say for the future of Gator football. Kirby Smart, it goes without saying. He's a national champion, right? He did win a championship, which means that he has some new expectations, not necessarily necessarily, uh, self-imposed expectations, but there are new expectations on him as the head coach at the University of Georgia. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds and also to that extent, what is, what is his outlook for this season? A lot of guys leaving, right? His defensive side was full of seniors. What do you do now after winning a championship? How do you fight complacency? Nick Saban's talked about complacency time and time again. How do you do that? And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Georgia and Kirby Smart address that here during SEC Media Days. And lastly, Mark Stoops. Now, he's about to be the greatest uh, Kentucky head coach ever to exist, about to pass Bear Bryant. He's not all that exciting, right? I would say he's not the not the best when it comes to sound bites or 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 notable headlines. But what he will do is he'll he'll be consistent, right? And he's one of the best head coaches in the SEC, in my opinion, too. So whenever he has the microphone, it's one of those situations where you want to listen in. So of all the media days, of all the days between uh, July 21st with Brian Harson and Heupel and Fisher, or looking at maybe. Uh, day two with, with Saban and Leach and Beamer and Lee. I would say that the best of the SEC media days is day three. That, my friends, is the one. On to story number three. So I mentioned that Tom Brady made some headlines recently, right? I said that it seemed as though he was having second thoughts. He was having cold feet about retiring and if you recall like i mentioned to begin the show here i'm not i wasn't exactly surprised when he said that because when this when he first announced his decision to retire i made the comparison to michael jordan and i said michael retired once and then he retired twice and they retired a third time and it wasn't until that third time was he actually done with basketball Now, there was a report February 13th said Brady had not shut the door on playing in 2022. And I also saw that it said that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still optimistic that Brady will be their quarterback next year. Okay. I don't really know that Tom Brady will come back this year, right? Um, I saw something from Julian Edelman. He said uh, he wouldn't be surprised if Brady unretires. That's more along my line of thought. I don't necessarily know that Tom Brady will come back this fall and play for a team this fall, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Tom Brady was to unretire 
maybe after watching everything for a year and saying, ah, I could still do that. Right. And then having his basically his pick of the litter as to where he could end up going. Now, where could he end up going? There are some Vegas odds here. I'll read them to you. Uh, San Francisco at plus 200. They have the best odds right now. Tampa Bay at plus 350. Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers at four plus 450. The <laughs> return to the New England Patriots at plus 600. And lastly, going over to a Patriot foe and a former AFC East rival for Tom, going over to the Miami Dolphins at plus 700. Now, I've said it before. I think Tom comes back. I don't think he's done. I don't know if it's this year, but I do think that he will come back. And, you know, I don't see him going to Tampa, right? We've talked about it before. The issue with Tom in Tampa is all the weapons that he had, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, probably Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, and other guys were all going to be gone. It was going to be a rebuild situation. I don't see Tom unretiring to go back into that rebuild situation. So if it's not Tampa Bay, who has weapons that he would be interested in going to, right? I think of San Francisco, right? We just saw them get one win away from playing in the Super Bowl. And they have some great wide receivers in the form of Debo Samuel and Jawan Jennings. And of course, uh, is, it, is it Kittle? Is that his name? The tight end? Yep. Kittle. You have a number of great weapons out there for Tom to throw the ball to. And he got some pretty good protection as well. So San Francisco, that would make a lot of sense. San Francisco would. Going to the 49ers. He's a San Francisco guy as well. He, I think believe he was born and raised out in that ballpark. So it makes a lot of sense, right? Pittsburgh. Now, they don't have the world's best offensive line, but they have Najee Harris as the running back who uh, did a lot of wonders. He was a pro bowler in his first year. Some great wide receivers out there between Smith-Schuster and Johnson and some other guys uh, and uh, Chase Claypool as well. So they've got a lot of weapons there. And I really don't hate the idea of the Dolphins, right? Now, I know, I know, I know, I know that Tom played against the Dolphins for however many years. And I know, too, that the Dolphins are not that good right now, right? I know the Dolphins have been pretty bad. They just fired their head coach. They're caught in this whole scandal of whether the GM or the owner who is paying guys to, to throw games and all that kind of stuff. But Miami has weapons, too, right? They've got Devontae Parker, former Louisville, Louisville Cardinal, I believe. Uh, wide receiver there. Got Jalen Waddle. Of course, we know about Jalen Waddle here in the SEC. He tore up just about every defense he came across, right? A number of other great weapons out there as well. The offensive line is not great, right? He doesn't really have a great running back, but I'd be inclined to say that if Miami could get Tom, they're probably going to get a few other guys to come in there and support him and maybe get them to a Super Bowl. So I would be inclined to assume that the NFC would probably be his preferred choice because the NFC is easier, right? The AFC is harder. We just saw the Bengals got to the Super Bowl, right? The Bengals were not the best team in their, in the AFC. You had the Chiefs, great team. You had the Bills, a great team. You had the Titans, a great team, right? You think Tom's going to be better than fourth right now behind those teams? I don't know. And the NFC, it's a little bit more wide. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's a lot more wide open. The Packers are good, but you don't really know what's going to happen with, with Aaron Rodgers. The Buccaneers were just there with Tom, right? The Rams, they're probably going to drop off here a little bit because they're going to lose a couple guys and they're not going to win after winning a Super Bowl. And you're just going to see a little bit of fall off. The Cowboys, they never really impressed in the playoffs. So the NFC is a little bit more wide open, which is why San Francisco makes the most sense. But their quarterback room is a mess right now. 
they don't really know what they want to do with Garoppolo, right? I heard that they want to trade him. Now it sounds like they may not, right? Which is okay. And then, of course, they, they traded up to get Trey Lance last year in the draft from North Dakota State, I believe. And they also just decide they don't feel he's ready to start yet. So if you haven't figured that out, then, then maybe he's not, maybe that's not the best place for him to go, right? Maybe, maybe San Francisco needs to figure out their situation before they bring in another Hall of Fame quarterback in the form of Tom Brady. So if it's not San Francisco, so ooh, cannot talk. If it's not San Francisco, if it's not Pittsburgh, so on, where is it? Well, I always like to end the show with a little bit of a uh, a bizarre outside the box pick, if I can, and I'm going to do it here. I say that I like at plus 700 right now, according to Vegas and the odds. I like Tom Brady to go to the Miami Dolphins. Joining me and several others in South Florida. Now, I mentioned they have the weapons, right, between Jalen Waddle, Devontae Parker, and some other guys up there, Gesicki, Mike Gesicki. He's got some weapons to throw the ball to that he did not have in New England, right? And I think we've seen already that they're prepared to move on from Tua. I know they traded up to get Tua, right? I get it. I know. But Tua will be finishing if, okay, this is under the assumption that Tom Brady does not come back this year. If Tom Brady does not come back this year, Two will be done with year three. And after three years, if you don't know if you're going to move on move on from a quarterback or not, then you're already in some trouble. So I think at this point, they'll know if they want to keep Tua or not. And of course, it's Florida, which Tom likes personally, right? He likes professionally, as we've seen in Tampa Bay. And if you followed his, his political career as all, uh, you know, he will like it politically as well, right? You know, he's a big fan of some of the folks down here. So uh, I think he would like it from a number of different sides of the issue. You know, it'd be a little ironic, though, because the Dolphins, they hated Tom for so long. But I think he could pretty easily bring him and get him to win their first Super Bowl in since the 70s, since like 73, 74, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, it could be a big moment for them. So of all the teams, if if Tom Brady was to unretire, if he was to race back, where which team would he choose? Well, I'm inclined to believe it's the Miami Dolphins. That is the one I'm going with. So that's going to end the show today. As always, you know, so glad that you joined us. Where do we go? We talked about what we saw in Fontana in the NASCAR race this past Sunday, what Kyle Larson did and what it could mean moving forward. What is Chase going, Chase Elliott going to do to retaliate against his teammates, right? We talked about who we expect to win in the Las Vegas race this week. I like Kyle Busch a lot on that front. He is a Las Vegas guy, of course. He was born and raised there. We talked about who, what to expect when it comes to SEC media days. What days will be better and what days will be not so good. In my personal opinion, I'm a big fan of day three with, with Kirby Smart and Sam Pittman and all those guys, Billy Napier, Mark Stoops. It's going to be a great day on that front in July. And lastly, we talked about Tom Brady on retiring. It's not official yet, but if he doesn't retire, I'd like to think he's coming down to South Florida to play for the Miami Dolphins. So as always, uh, if you like what you saw today, feel free to check out more of our episodes at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, uh, more on BWR Productions. Check us out on Instagram at Ball With Y'all Podcast. We are looking forward to connecting with you more over the weeks, uh, days, weeks, months ahead as well. Uh, looking forward to next week as well. we got a lot of great stuff up the pipeline. Again, a lot more surprises. So continue to stay tuned in and uh, looking forward to all that we have in store for you all. So Thanks for joining us today. 
And as always, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to talk some balls with y'all.